Okay. Okay. I'm ready. But before we get started, two hydrogen atoms walked into a bar. The first says to the second, I think I've lost my electron. The second replies, are you sure? To which the first retorts, yes, I'm positive. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I get those stupid jokes every day from Stephen. Joke a day. She's there quacking herself up. That one was good. I heard of a joke. I may remember it in the middle and y'all are just gonna have to bear with me. Oh my Lord. You never uh, know what you'll get when you have kids. I'm waiting. Do you, are you gonna say your joke? No, because I said I don't remember it. But if I do at any point in time, I'm just gonna blurt it out. Oh, okay. And then wow. my final one that I thought was hilarious is, what did the 30 degree angle say to the 90 degree angle? What? You think you're always right? No? Okay. All right. I don't have a gun. <laughs> okay. So today mm -hmm. we are going to the city of... Not... No. That's it? No. You were concerned you couldn't pronounce that? No. <laughs> I mean, you did his whole name beautifully. Say, say no. his name. <laughs> say his name again. No. <laughs> but you got to go, no. <laughs> I had caffeine this morning, by the way. <laughs> so I enjoyed anything. So, no. yes. No. Friend. No. Now, so I, I've never been to France. Have you guys been to France? I have many times. Lena has. <laughs> you have not been to France. <laughs> Susan has. She's been many times. Susan's not here. Oh. Yeah. Does she like it? Yes. Now she well, wouldn't. It looks really pretty. Um and so this this city, Nantes, <laughs> is on the Atlantic. And so it's like a picturesque, you know, seaside city, it looks like. Ooh. It's the sixth largest city in France with a population of 309,000 plus. Where's wow. it by? Pretty big. Paris? By Paris? Paris. I don't know. But, Paris. <laughs> and I've never heard of it. I mean, I, you would think that we'd hear, because like you hear of Nice, France, and Paris, and I'm not sure why we've right. not heard of. No. Paris. Is it not with the T at the end? Yes. Yes. Can you pronounce that again? I didn't get it. Not. Can you say it in a sentence, please? <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the surrounding area around not <laughs> has like um, 973,000 people. This, unlike some of the past, you know, true crimes we've done, the family annihilators, this is actually quite a large city, uh, yet it left its mark and it's still on there to this day because they've not caught this guy. And we'll get into that because there's some uh, controversy. It, did he commit suicide? Did he disappear? And uh, it's, you know, definitely a metropolitan area. And it's called or considered a gamma world city, meaning it's in the global network, economic network. So I'm not sure what that means. Right. It must have some type of influence and its economy and everything is more global versus, you know, our economy, which should be America first. And um, got to go America first and then do your shirt. Right. So I. Uh, <laughs> This spread all across France. And I saw this case on Unsolved Mysteries before I got rid of Netflix because of their um, their wonderful oh. show, Cuties. Yes. And uh, it was, it reminded me a lot of John List. So I'm curious if you guys think the same thing as we go, because he was the first one we did where he annihilate, annihilated his entire family, laid them out oh. in the room, et cetera. My list. That's what I remember. And Dear John, yeah. which was even better. But I came up with my list. Right. Which is a perfect title. 
Go That's ahead, why Sarah. I said my list because you kept doing that repeatedly. Just saying. My okay. <clears throat> so this one actually was about 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago on April 11th. And Estelle Chapon, a neighbor. You're going to do this the whole thing. I'm I not going to so. be able to do this podcast because I noticed that the family home. Now, are you ready? I mean, we got to get serious because people are going to be listening to this first part. Like, I am never listening to that podcast again. But and it is about an annihilator. So right, but I got to I got to do this part. So Estelle, a neighbor, noticed that the family home of Count Xavier Dupont de la jeunesse and his wife agnes and their four children were unusually quiet so you can imagine four kids and they're right. teenagers so always you know coming and going it was unusually quiet and the shutters were closed and the reason that caught her attention is they never closed their shutters even if they were on vacation so she started getting a little bit worried and um on top of that she did the ironing for Xavier and then she did alterations for Agnes. So she was you know, there a lot. And it's really a neat looking place. It's kind of like you would picture, you know, homes in a place like France where they're real tall, you know, and narrow and have the stonework and stuff like that. So um, she said, quote, their house was usually very lively and busy. So she looked in the mailbox, which I was like, man, is still kind of nosy there. Um, and she noticed a note instructing the mail person to stop delivering any mail there. That's a weird move. Yeah, no. Estelle being nosy or the note? Her being nosy and happened to come upon the note in the mailbox. Like that wouldn't be your first move, I wouldn't think. I wouldn't go to my neighbors immediately to the mailbox. Right. Unless right. I was seeing, like, to me, if it was piling up, then that would indicate they were out of town or mm -hmm. dead. Mm -hmm. um, and if they were getting the mail, that would indicate they were there. So maybe that's why she did it. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if it was building up or not, but Estelle, she checked it. And it reminded me, John List, again, went to the post office to stop all mail. Oh, yeah. So you got to remember those details, you know. And so after she uh, looked in their mailbox, she then waited for two days, nothing changed, no activity, no kids, no nothing. So she called the police. And this one's actually extremely frustrating uh, because the way the police responded um, basically guaranteed that he could get away. So that was the 11th. On the 13th, the police arrived and they, like Estelle, found the doors locked, the shutters closed. They called a locksmith, came, opened the door, and they found everything in the home was in place. So some of the bedrooms, the sheets were removed, some of the closets were opened. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, if they're going out of town, maybe they just stripped all the beds for laundry and, um, you know, left their closets open. But nothing looked... Suspicious. Time out. So we've been watching a lot of these, and that's one of the biggest clues. If sheets and comforters are gone, they didn't go out of town. Right. I mean, I've never stripped my bed before I went out of town, but you even know. if you did, they wouldn't be gone. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. And then um, to the cops, so it looked like they had either moved, which I thought was interesting, or they had gone on an extended trip. And that's what Xavier wanted them to think. And, uh, you know, they presume innocent and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I don't think so. I think he definitely shot his entire family. Um, so there wasn't anything that seemed like foul play, no blood, no nothing. So they didn't uh, investigate. They're just like, hey, lady, you know, probably the nosy neighbor going through people's mail. It's like they're just out of town or maybe they moved and there's nothing here. So they left. And the strange thing, though, was, well, if they moved, then why was one of their cars there? Mm. So mm. all of their cars, but one was there and it was the C5. So she's like, no, the entire family can't be in that car, plus their dogs. Where are their dogs? The so dogs were gone, too. way that they would fit in that little C5. Hmm. Oh, I didn't know they had dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I if anyone heard any kind of barking or anything. 
So then the next day, friends and relatives started getting letters. And they got letters from uh, Xavier and uh, Agnes. And in the letters, they said uh, that they were infiltrating an international drug ring. And what was his profession? I don't know. I mean, it may be in here. Thing. But I'm not okay. sure. Okay. No. So, quote, this will be hard. You won't okay. see us for a while as we're going to change identity, be under protection, and won't be reachable at all. So it's really bizarre. And that's what I, I don't get. Okay, so if you're trying to get away or not write, you know, not cause suspicion, why would you say you're infiltrating an international drug ring? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it might be like, hey, we finally got our visas to go to America. We're out of here. You know, something like that, because they've been trying to get to America. Um, but why would you say infiltrating an international drug ring? It's stupid. So for criminals, it's like they go to the most extravagant or extreme. And I think it's like an ego thing. And they think people believe them. Right. Assist. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's so far-fetched. I mean, how in the world would they even check some of these things? Well, and maybe that's what the purpose is, is so that they wouldn't even know where to begin. And surprisingly, some actually believed them. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So some were confused, but some believed the crazy story because they didn't think that either one of them would lie. Um, they were just good people. And so they, they didn't think that they would. Now, on top of that, you know, Xavier is a, a count. So he comes from a very prestigious family. They have musketeers in their family line. They've got a castle in the middle of France, a signet ring that has like the family's motto and coat of arms. And so all of these things were very important to Xavier. And so they probably thought, you know, yeah, he's, you know, he's a count. Um, I could see that happening, blah, 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 blah. But the other side of the family, Agnes's family, they were skeptical and they didn't believe that. Uh, and that's why it's so important, you know, to stay in touch with your loved ones, to know your loved ones, what would be normal and what wouldn't be normal because her family would not stop until something happened. And kind of like uh, Jeffrey McDonald's father-in-law, I mean, he, he kept going. And so sure enough, they're like, no, this isn't, this isn't right. So they sent a letter to Non DA. And then on April 15th, the police returned to the house to investigate things more thoroughly. This time, they noticed that photos were missing from the frames. Again, John List did the same thing, but nothing was suspicious. And I'm like, come on, you don't. It was so frustrating watching it because you don't disappear and you don't take family pictures out. Unless, let's say it was a, like in, like here, you have the uh, protection situation. Witness and so I could see you taking those pictures to hide your identity or. But you'd take the frames. Keep those with you. you Why yeah. would you leave the frames there? Hey, real quick, when you were talking about um, keep in touch with your loved ones and whatnot, we had talked about this this week. You brought up a good point of having code words with people. Yes. You know, when the kids were younger and uh, it's, you know, I would just say that it's important to, to have a code word with family, friends, et cetera, so that they know something's wrong. We'll need one. Yeah. So I was telling Elena that the realtor I work with, um, especially after I watched, I don't know why I'm smiling, but I watched a true crime show where a realtor was killed in a house. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it was over in Texas. And there's and that's happened more than people realize. Yeah, it was in Plano. I watched that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I told her, I said, what's your plan? What, what do you, you know, what's going on here? Like if you get anything happens, because if she ever had like a feeling like maybe I don't know these people, it's a male without a wife, which you can't even trust that. I mean, you know, there's male right. killers, but anyway, um, she said, if I, if I text you or call you and say, I need the red file, then you need to call the police and then call my husband. I'm like, all right, we got it. You know? So um, yeah, having that code word, I think is important uh, because, you know, if you're in that setting and you feel uncomfortable and you're like, Hey, I need something out of a file 
for this house. Let me call my assistant real quick. I need the red file. They're not going to suspect that. Right. And right. so, yeah, I think code words are really important and, um, you know, to know them and to not be like, what, what red file, you know, like you need to yeah. make sure you understand what's happening. Right. So we had one, you know, with the kids and it was during the time period Jay was just being a stinker and uh, she was with mom and she called me and she used it. And I said, Jade, you cannot use it with your family. That is not the point of the code word. And she's like, code word, code word. She just kept repeating it. She wanted to come home. She's being a stinker. Like you cannot use that for your, your mama. Really? <laughs> Typical Jade fashion. <laughs> Do you remember that? No. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. So um, the Agnes's, Agnes's family continued to pressure the authorities, resulting in six more visits. So the initial concern was on the 11th. They returned the 15th, the 18th, the 20th, the 21st. And on the 21st, the DA finally conducted a press conference at the courthouse stating that the family's disappearance was unusual. They were going to investigate it. While he was doing the press conference, which I'm not sure why you would do a press conference, but whatevs. So while he's doing the press conference, he gets a phone call. So it's live. So he halts the press conference. He answers the phone and police notified him that they had found several large plastic trash bags bound with tape under the terrace. And inside the bag bags, they discovered the bodies of Agnes, Arthur, Benoit, and Anne, along with the two dogs. And it wow. took him six visits mm-hmm. under the terrace. They obviously didn't search. Right, right. The terrace so, outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've got pictures. I meant to open those. Yeah. Um, so the bedding obviously is, you know, an indicator, like you said. And so all the bodies were wrapped up in duvets and sheets. You'd think there'd be an odor though after six days or six different times. Well, and I'm not sure how they found the bodies. Um, like, is it because it smelled? Did they have cadaver dogs or did they notice disturbed uh, dirt? But um, let me show you a couple pictures of the crime scene. So, um, and here's what's weird before I share the screen. So they're wrapped in the blankets and duvets, but each one of them had a small religious icon placed next to their body. And they found Thomas's body, who is the heir to the title, in a separate grave. But one body was conspicuously missing, and that was Xavier's body. So obviously, he's the prime suspect right off the bat. Okay, so let me share my screen. And I'll show you the, um, so this is a picture of them finding the bodies. And obviously you have, you know, the. um, So they were kind of buried. It's outside of their house. Here's the, they call this a terrace, uh, but it looks like they were underneath there. So that what's amazing to me is how small of a space that is. So like, I'm curious, was he digging their graves for a long time and they didn't know? Or did he spend all that time digging underneath there right after he killed him? It just seems like such a small area. If it's interesting, they're outside the house, outside, little part. No dirt would be disturbed and they didn't see it. Mm -mm. And it looks like it goes all the way across too. So again, it just seems like a lot of effort, you know, to to dig underneath there now this is the picture of their um their house and so see how the shutters are closed Mm -hmm. so they they didn't do that the neighbor said and then this is them carrying out the bodies uh once they found them and of course i'll show you the family and stuff later but it just again that um just Mm -hmm. You know, digging in that area, it, it just seems like a lot of hard work. Anyway, but I mean, I, mean, I could sort of notice he was digging. I mean, wonder why they 
But John List went the extra mile as well. Yeah, but not digging underneath an area that small. That's just to me, you know, digging is hard, excuse me, hard enough, but digging in an area where you're literally, you're going to have to be on your belly. There's no other way. Now, were they dug into the, I mean, were they found in the ground or just mm -hmm. laying? No, oh. they were found. Um, Shallow uh, ground. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, you know what? No, I think there was some digging because that came up later because he had a bad back. So a lot of people keep saying there's no way he would eliminate his family. But let you know what? Let's just discuss that for a second. I've not heard of a single crime. And if there is one out there, I would love to hear about it. But I've not heard of a single crime where the entire family but one is dead. And it's not that family member. Right. Unless the family member was maybe away at college or, you know, out with friends. But typically when the entire family's gone, it's usually a family annihilation. And so like to me, it, you know, of course him being the only one not dead, it's probably going to be him. But a lot of people are like, no, there's no way because of his back injury. So we'll get to that in a little bit. I just think it's ironic that they're having the press conference after having to, you know, six times, hey, something's wrong here. And then, bam, they discover the bodies. What month was this again? Uh, April. Okay. And uh, it really uh, impacted the city quite a bit. You'll see, like, um, people went by the, the uh, house a lot, and they would leave, like, flowers and their pictures. I mean, people would cry, you know, it, it was like a really, really big deal. And the kids, they were, um, well liked. They, you know, they had a lot of friends and, uh, so it was, it was a big deal. Were the yeah. funerals together? Huh? Were the funerals together? I, I don't know. So Probably. Together. Yeah. They keep them together. So the autopsy, they, it revealed that the four children had been drugged with sleeping pills. So they were drugged first. And then Agnes, she didn't have any medication in her system, but she had sleep apnea. And if you've ever heard one of those sleep apnea machines, they are incredibly loud. Well, they had to keep the kids in. Um, Incapacitated? Yeah, because mm -hmm. they were. Yeah. And uh, so they could tell by the machine that it stopped in the middle of the night at approximately 3 a.m. on the morning of April 3rd or April 4th. They're not sure because, you know, it's going into April 4th. So to me, that 3 a.m. would be the 4th. But and they he didn't call anyone until the 11th. Right. So they're probably killed the third or the fourth. And then the neighbor finally was like, Hey, something's going on on the 11th, but it wasn't until the 21st mm -hmm. that the police finally took this case seriously. And by that time he had a good 17 days. Maybe wow. there wasn't an odor because they were buried. Cause you would smell something after that month. Mom's on the odor. Yeah. I agree. I mean, mm -hmm. they say inspectors or detectives, whatever they're called, various countries, that there's a distinct odor and apparently mm -hmm. it happens quickly. It does. Yeah, it's pretty fast. So um, they believe that she was killed first and each victim, victim was killed by two bullets from a 22 caliber long rifle. No neighbors heard any gunshots. And when they uh, looked over the crime scene, they did not find, and this is crazy, a single trace of blood. Oh. Yeah. And they didn't. Huh? Because, because the bedding was gone. Well, and they um, had sleeping pills, and they were shot. Now, wow. how can you not hear a rifle? Well, no. Well, it's 22, probably, you know, in the middle of the night. I could see that, if, you know, if you're sleeping heavily. But the fact that there's no blowback, like, the uh, the 22 I mean, it is a small caliber but still you think there'd be something so he either cleaned the crime scene very very well uh <coughs> excuse me like lana said a pillow or something on top right 
-hmm. something because getting was gone so exactly so we know that but you would think you know even like blood would get into the mattress but i guess not and then there was also no fingerprints or dna from anyone at all oh so he cleaned it he cleaned it really good in fact i mean if he's still alive he could probably start a house cleaning business and do very well he cleaned it so good crazy okay now you know for obvious reasons innocent until proven guilty but there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that points to him as a perpetrator so i wanted to kind of go into exactly who is this guy and and who was his family so uh xavier and agnes they met in the early 1980s he was 20 she was 17 and they loved each other very very much but he had like a wanderlust he wanted to kind of see the world a little bit you know have some adventure travel around so he broke up with her and took off to me, I'd be like, wow, you know, I mean, I don't know if it was a mutual decision, but yeah, they broke up and he returned a year later and Agnes was pregnant. Oh, so it obviously wasn't him. Did she come from money like he did? I don't think so. Hmm. And then in spite of his traditional and conservative background, he married her and adopted the child and gave um, that child his name. So this, this one is Arthur. Okay. So he is the oldest, but he is not um, his biological child, but the traditional conservative background, very similar again to John List. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and by the way, in France at that time, that was unheard of that a man, especially a count, would marry this woman and take that child as his own. Right. So then over the years, they grew their family. They had another son, Thomas. So even though he was the second son, um, he was the one that was the uh, official heir of the title. It would not have gone to Arthur because of you know him not being his biological. Then they had Anne and Benoit, and they seem picture perfect. Agnes worked at a Catholic school and she was very personable. People liked her. Arthur was 20 years old and he was pursuing a degree at a private Catholic college. And he also seemed to be the, the jokester. So let me pull up their picture. So this is, this is a family. So the one laying across the, the kids, that's Arthur. And then uh, that's Thomas and then Anne and then Benoit. Um, yeah this is uh Xavier and Agnes and their daughter um like the mother very much here's another picture of them Hmm. Arthur they they they, you can tell that uh Arthur's definitely the jokester I mean that's that's pretty (laughs) pretty evident they seem Um, genuinely happy too and then this is um, the dad with the, the daughter. I think she's absolutely gorgeous. We have yeah. another one of those arm things. Right, right. Like Ted Bundy, the Ted Bundy pose. And then this is all of them together. So this I, probably is the, the most recent picture of all of them. Um, I'm not sure where the parents are looking off to, but, uh, again, you, you see Arthur, he's got that huge smile on his face. Um, I, I just think, and it's so pretty goodness. And, uh, but anyway, so that's, that's the family and, um, Thomas. So the official heir, he was 18. He was very shy. He was really sweet, but he, he was obsessed with music. And he was attending college as well. Anne was 16, the only, the only girl. And she was actually a model for mail order catalogs. And she was the most studious of the four children. And she also attended a Catholic school. And then Benoit was the youngest. He was 13 and he attended the same school as Anne. And he also loved music, especially the drums. (laughs) So I'm sure it was a loud house, (laughs) but when they started digging, like most traditional family annihilators, where it's either another woman or the marriage looks like it's ending or there's financial problems or all of the above, things weren't looking very good for Xavier. 
So outwardly, he appeared like a successful businessman, nobility, heir to a title after his father passes away, but he was in deep financial trouble. So what happened was in the early 2000s, they had tried to unsuccessfully to move to Florida uh, and they spent all, nearly all of their money to try to get to America and um, they weren't able to. So they spent all that money. They weren't allowed into the country. I'm not sure why, but that right there started this downward spiral um, of failure. And so then bailiffs, I guess that's what debt collectors are called there, were on his back for debt. His companies weren't ever really successful. And then also they were about to lose the house and the money they were living on was from an inheritance for Agnes. So I guess she did come from some money and it was almost gone. At the same time, things were deteriorating for Agnes and Xavier as well. In fact, there's a police report from 2005 where Agnes called them because Xavier in assaulted Arthur. And so and that's the oldest one. That's the oldest one that's not his blood. Yeah, I mean, you have father-son issues sometimes, especially mm -hmm. when they're teenagers. Yeah. But you still see the common denominator of finances and failure. And the, it, it's almost like the loss of control over the family too. Because mm -hmm. to me, what epitomizes a family annihilator is loss of control and then loss of face. You know, they're going to look like failures. Yeah. You know, they're going to, their businesses or marriage, everything disintegrates. And it's just too much for the ego. It's too much for them to take. So it's like they get this giant eraser and want to erase their entire past. You know anything about his parents? How he grew yeah, up? we'll get into that in a second. I don't know much about his mom, uh, but his dad, there's a little bit about him. It was hard to find much on this case. Um, so Agnes had also... What, how'd you come across this one? Unsolved Mysteries. Okay. Like I stated at the beginning. I just remembered. Thank you for that, Sherry. As soon as you said Unsolved Mysteries. And as soon as you said that, I knew she would say, I said that already. Sorry, That's my it. apologies. Thank you. <laughs> so she also had talked to others, like at work and some friends, that Xavier was too judgmental too quick to argue, too rigid, too military. There's no more tenderness between us, no more attention, no softness, no sex. When I ask him if he's happy, his response is the same. Get this. Yes, I am. But if we could all die tomorrow, that would be better. No. That's I'm like, a flag. Yeah, it's a big flag. That's a huge flag. That's like a flag that takes up the entire house, just waving it around. Like to me, I've never heard anyone say, oh yeah, I'm happy, but if we could all die tomorrow, I'd be better. But again, like the last podcast, if it's out of your mind of any kind of possibility that someone would do that anyway so you don't think anything about it see that's why i think true crime podcasts are beneficial because if you listen to them then you start recognizing that's not something that's normal right yeah. right yeah True. so that's that's all a quote and so it appears that almost like that whole like traditional thing where the kids maybe are not holding the same traditional values as the dad and they're maybe doing things that he doesn't approve of and it's like this tightening down of control but also anger you know the police report it just almost seems like there's a pattern that happens with these family annihilators so that guys anyone who's listening if any family member says yeah i'm happy but if we were all dead tomorrow it'd be much better. That's probably a red flag. You need to go ahead and pack up everything, get the kids out and don't go back. But I do think you're right. It's like, and we talked about this, I think in the first podcast, or maybe it was the season, season one, where your brain does not compute that those statements equal, I'm going to kill everybody. Right. Especially if you have a relationship with someone. Right. And it, it always begins good. You know, like they were teenage lovers, you know, he rescued her from disgrace and married her and 
adopted her child and gave him his name. I mean, it's like, and I've heard this, like, you know, a lot of people, they worry about aging and things like that. And they, you know, worry like women, especially like maybe they've gained a little bit of weight as they go. And they begin to wonder if maybe their husband, they're not as attractive to their husband, you know, things like that. Well, if you, if you're married to, you know, a douchebag, maybe that would be a problem, but for, and, and to me, like, I will have a disclaimer that I feel like how you take care of yourself physically is a, a form of love to me because, you know, as you age, I don't, you know, I want to do fun things and enjoy life, right? So that's a little bit different. But when you have that beginning where it's so emotionally tied and you've got a good thing going, you still see your spouse the same way years later. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's like the brain you know, neurons that fire together, wire together, that emotion that's tied to the initial connection. It's like it freezes your spouse in your brain as that person that you married. Right. If it's good. Yeah. yeah. If it's good. So it takes a lot to undo that. And it seems like for some people, they never see it kind of like the lady that married John List and they're sitting there getting the tail end of the unsolved mission or America's most wanted of him being the family annihilator and it never entered her mind that it was her husband sitting next to her on the couch. Yeah. Though it looked just like him. Right. Accountant. Right. Religious. You know. So on top of the usual patterns, here's another one. He was also having an affair with a mistress in Paris. And he'd even borrowed 50,000 euros from her in desperation. So he killed them in 2011, but in 2010, in an email, he told her that he was ruined at rock bottom like never before. Quote, I am awake almost every night with these morbid ideas, burning down the house after giving everyone sleeping pills or killing myself so that Agnes could get 600,000 euros. In my case, my life will end in the next few months if I don't get 25,000 euros immediately. So he, he emailed that to his mistress, which I think is weird. Like, well, yeah. maybe I should just kill myself so my wife, of whom I'm unfaithful to with you, can get life insurance. It's a strange thing. Yeah, the very first comment is jacked up. That's a major <coughs> flag in a relationship with someone mm-hmm. talking about giving his family sleeping pills and burning down the house. What did she think was going to happen to the thing? Right. That's it's like detail. Yeah. It's details. He's too specific on how he would do that. Like, to me, that's huge. So if if you're a mistress and you receive an email like that, you probably should notify the wife. Right. Or police. And then get away from this lunatic because, number one, he's a crybaby. And number two, he's, you know, got specific details on how he's going to kill his family. And specifically says morbid thoughts. I have these morbid thoughts. Right. Mm -hmm. Was it ideas? And the reason I say he's a crybaby, I mean, how dramatic do you need to be? I'm going to die if I don't get this money. Come on. Go go get a construction job. I don't know. No, no, no. Come on, son. (laughs) Come on, son. So we could see that he's already got his plan. You know what I mean? Like he's already planning this thing out. He's already thinking about the different ways he can do it. And uh, again, he's like John List and a lot of family annihilators that the only way out that he sees is to annihilate his entire family. So um, he has or had a best friend. His name's Bruno. And when they were interviewing Bruno, which I'm I'm sure it's a name in France that they use, but it just sounds weird. I don't know why. Why does it sound weird? Like Bruno. So just the way Bruno definitely a European name. A lot of, cut this part out, but a lot of dogs are named Bruno. Is that what's cracking me up? That's probably what's cracking me up. Okay. So Bruno said, and he was his best friend, best friend and dog. You know what I'm saying? I think you have a point. But anyway, that he was vain, proud, and he would not want to lose face. Ah. It was as if he was on a mission to save his children from finding out 
he was a loser. You know, though, a lot of normal men think that way too, though. They don't kill their families, but. Well, yeah, I think that for a man to be a failure to his family or in his profession stuff would be a definite hit to the ego. And I think the reason it would be a definite hit to the ego is they've never had a baby from their groin come out, you know? So when you're a woman, loins, yes, not groin, loins, when your loins are exposed for all to see, ego goes away. Right. Okay. So now we're like three months past the murders. Okay. So, um, uh, or before, I'm sorry, before. So this is January 20th, 2011. So we already know that good old Xavier is wanting to annihilate his family. He's already got an idea of how he wants to do it. But then his dad suddenly died of a heart attack. His name is Hubert. And at this point, I'm sure Xavier is hoping that there's some money from his dad dying or something he could sell to get him out of the mess that he's in. Plus, he was wanting to find the family signet ring that was very important to him. So he started working on clearing out his father's apartment, but he didn't find anything except a 22 caliber long rifle. Does he have siblings? No siblings were mentioned. So I'm not sure. But in the show and in my research, I didn't see any siblings. So Herbert's neighbor remembered something. Um, the last time he saw Xavier, he said he had, quote, a very dark look in his eyes. Now, you know, you could be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you saying that, you know, post killing his family? But I don't know. I I mean, if he saw Xavier, you know, several times at least visiting his father, and then all of a sudden he's got this look in his eyes, I could, you know, I could see that. It's like, uh, Chris Watts' neighbor, he's like, uh-uh, something's going on. Now, it wouldn't have taken a rocket scientist because watching the video, you can see that Chris is avoiding the footage. He's looking all around. He's on his phone. He's got, you know, body language of his head on his hands. You only do that if you're freaking out. You know, I normally don't put my hands on my head, you know. So that was pretty obvious. But this guy's like, there's something going on. And so then, 13 days later, on February 2nd, Xavier obtains a firearms license, even though he never had any interest whatsoever previously with weapons, and he started going to a shooting range, and to spend quality time with his two sons that he would be murdering soon, he would take them as well to learn how to shoot. And then uh, he asked his instructor about silencers. To me, there's only one reason you need a silencer. Mm-hmm. I don't think they need to be outlawed. I, I, I don't believe in that. But why do you need a silencer? Instructor <laughs> didn't notice. Or think no. that's all. He asked him about them. I don't think that instructor again. You're just like your day to day life. You know, you're, you know, if you're a firearms expert and you have a, a shooting range, maybe you see a purpose for silencers that others don't. I could say around here in the country, I mean, although we can actually, because we're in the county, we can shoot freely, but I could see um, if you were really practicing or something, being a little bit more. Or maybe hunting and you don't want to scare off other wildlife, maybe something like that. Uh, And guns are super loud, so I I could see. Um, But um, he bought one on March 12th, which would explain why the neighbors didn't hear any gunshots. Right. He also bought some garbage bags and cement. Were they buried in cement when they? Some of it was found on the bodies. So oh. I don't know, like, if he was going to mix it up and encase them. And, it, you know, like, y'all saw the space and it was just too little space to do that. Or he was fatigued after his cleanup. I'm not sure. But some was found on the bodies. But I don't know if it was just powder and he's hoping it cement them in or if it was a mixture. Because oh, it does rain in Paris. Right. But we're not in Paris. We're in Nantes. But it could be close to Paris. Okay. So the autopsy, I want to go into that a little bit. Um, because it was written, like the coroner put, that the manner of death was, quote, methodical execution. That's what he put. So... Xavier killed his wife and three 
all three kids except for Thomas. So he was later. He killed him on Saturday, April 2nd or Sunday, April 3rd in just the time of death. Because you remember, they know that the machine, the CPAP machine was turned off at 3 Mm a.m. So as far as the time of death, it appears that it was between uh, that Saturday and Sunday. Did you say Thomas was killed later? mm Mm-hmm. And this is what's crazy about it. He was killed April 5th. So Thomas had already gone back to college. Oh. And his father told him he had to come back. Oh. And uh, he told him that your mother has had a bicycle accident. She's in the hospital in a coma. And we don't know if she'll come out of it. It's very serious. You have to come home. That to me just sucks. Yeah. Waited a couple of days. Yeah. Like let Thomas live. I mean, you know, you're already an idiot and it's like, you literally call him back and it just is frustrating. So Thomas returned Tuesday evening and then he and his father went out to eat dinner according to witness statements, but they didn't talk much. The people that saw them noticed that they weren't talking a lot. And then Thomas was last heard uh, from at midnight and he sent a text message to a friend who responded right back but then never heard back from Thomas. And so if you're a young kid texting, you're going to, you're going to um, text back. Right. So that's what they're going by is that he probably was killed right after he sent that text message or he was already drugged and he was sleepy and he fell asleep mm-hmm. because he was killed during the night on Tuesday into Wednesday. So, Uh, Some also think that Xavier hesitated to kill him because that would end the family line. So I guess Xavier didn't have any siblings, for sure didn't have a brother, because to kill his oldest son after he's killed everybody else, there would be no uh, family line left. Yeah, Yeah, his biological son. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. since he had the silencer, then the sleeping pills weren't to for the kids to wake up. That was mercy, I think. And it was for the neighbors, so they wouldn't hear. Yeah. Because they could have rushed them. They were old, older. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, especially uh, Arthur. Arthur. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they say he has hesitated. I don't think so. I don't think he hesitated at all. Um, I mean, if like if ego was that big of a deal, I don't think that he would want his family line to continue uh, knowing that he killed his entire family, except for one. Like to me, it's just like, let's just wipe them all out. You know, why do you, why did they say that he hesitated or think because he could have killed them when Thomas was there because Thomas was there when he killed everybody else. And so they're thinking, um, no, he had gone back to school. So they're thinking that he probably could have killed all of them when Thomas was there. And he didn't. He let them go back. Just like Lisp, they're embarrassed and don't want anyone to think they're failures, but they don't care if someone thinks they're murderers. Right. So then they believe, the police, that Xavier stayed in the house for a week because several acquaintances saw him in Nantes. He then left forever on April 10th. So remember, the neighbor thought something was weird on April 11th. Mm-hmm. And uh, they got speed cameras and like credit card uh, usage. He wasn't in a hurry to escape. So what? he visited some of the places where he and Agnes first met and lived. And that was unusual? He didn't do yeah. that? Typically? Yeah, yeah. So he visited places where they lived during the early years of their marriage and places where the kids were born. So they think what he was doing was he was revisiting happy times and saying goodbye to his past. Kind of like the sculptor that knew that John List would be wearing the same glasses because it would remind him of better times and more successful times. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's crazy. So his last known stop was this town I cannot even pronounce. And he spent the night at a Formula One hotel. 
surveillance cameras then recorded him crossing the hotel parking lot carrying a bag with an obvious long object at the bottom to be believed to be the rifle he used to kill his family. Police fully expected to find his dead body in the surrounding cliffs or mountains, but after an extensive search of holes, caves, crevices, etc., no trace was ever found. That's weird. He would take the rifle with them. So I could see why they would think it would be suicide. Yeah, which is a common thing with family annihilators. But normally they kill themselves on site. But he wanted to say goodbye to everything. That's true. That's true. So that's why a lot of people believe he committed uh, suicide. I'm not so sure. I'm inclined to think he might have, but... Again, one reason is most family annihilators kill themselves right after. Second, why would he clean up the crime scene, hide the bodies, send letters of elaborate tales of drug infiltration, stop the mail, close the shutters, unless he was planning on escaping and he needed time to get away. So yeah. either, like you said, Elena, he was wanting time to say his last goodbyes and all of that was to buy him some time or he wanted to escape and that bought him some time. Yeah. yeah. What do y'all think? I think he committed suicide. You do. My thought goes to he's in America somewhere. That was my initial thought. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's been a couple sightings uh, since it, we'll get into in a second where he disappeared so I was like, okay, would that be an easy place to get out of the country? He could have easily taken a boat, a mountain path, or a train to Italy or Croatia easily. And I think he would have blended in in both places because of his appearance. He knew both Spanish and English. So oh. some think that he went from there to Latin America and he looks like everybody else. So he's not going to stand out. Um. He might have remarried and had more children. Oh, wouldn't that be terrible? I feel like if you were annihilating your family, um, I don't, I, I couldn't see them having more children in the future. Right. Right. Possibly. Yeah. So I'm this a, is, um, I mean, he can look so different. Like here he is here. Yeah. And then, um, And then here, and then very European looking here, you know, so he, he can definitely look different in different totally pictures. Different. Yeah. He has one of those faces. This is like, this looks totally different. This is a last known picture of him getting cash at an ATM. How old was he? Glasses. Uh, I believe in his forties, which again, the forties seem to be like a big deal for these family annihilators. But like he looks just so different to me between all these pictures that I could see it being hard to find him or people, you know, thinking they saw him and they didn't because he just looks so average. Now, the episode that was on Netflix's Unsolved Mysteries um, was called House of Terror. And uh, after people watched that, 100 tips came in. And in October 2019, a man believed to be Xavier was arrested at Scotland's Glasgow airport. Here's what's crazy. I didn't even know this could happen. His fingerprints partially matched Xavier. Have y'all heard of that? No. So family members, can, can family members do that? I mean, your, your fingerprints are supposed to be totally different. Like, I mean, was there a full fingerprint available or did he get rid of some of it? That supposedly happens. I don't know. All his fingerprints were the same? They no. partially matched. So I, I had no idea that was a thing. I didn't know fingerprints could partially match anybody's. And uh, so they had to do DNA and DNA excluded him. To me, that's crazy. So... I mean, can they, you? I thought he wiped the house clean. Where did they get the DNA? Well, over in Europe, I'm sure they have fingerprints more than over here. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. And yeah. like your, uh, maybe the 
passport. Maybe you have to have it for that or you know, I don't know. of what he looked like when he was arrested. No, I couldn't find a picture of the man. Mm -mm. And then another tip came in 2018. Um, they got a call that a monk at St. Desert uh, Des Carmes looked like Xavier. And it was located in a village that Xavier walked away into the desert where he was last seen. Uh, but what was crazy is when the police went there, all the monks had taken a vow of silence. So it made it hard for them to find out anything, but he wasn't found. And then this picture uh, right here was one of the tips, um, let me find it, that came in, oops. That's strange about the fingerprints. Yeah, the only Partially thing I can think of is if they were literally like still manually or visibly trying to match them. Ooh, he looks like a, a, a Queens dude. Oh, um, Eddie Mercury. Freddie so Mercury. This, this was one of the tips that came in, as you can see, in 2003. And someone at the beach knew about the case and thought this guy looked like him. And so they took a picture. And I could see, you know, with the facial mm. hair. Look at the hairline. That's what I was going to look at that. That's significant he's got a big widow's peak yeah uh same glasses can't see the glasses yeah i don't think he's wearing glasses yeah he is see oh oh does he have a um full bottom lip it looks like it no i'm in on the other one yeah I, wow the hairline oh. and that lip looks go back to his him. nose one more time. I would say that's pretty spot on. See how his nose is narrow, but it's mm -hmm. kind of wide at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, they uh, were able to confirm this was not him. It was his yeah. Doppelinger. Wow. But that's what makes it so tough. They've never found a body. They thoroughly searched that area. And so if he committed suicide, I mean, I don't know how vast the area is, but still you think they'd find something somewhere, um, but they never did. Water, mountains, do you know the terrain? Definitely mountainous. They have caves and crevices, but they, they said they thoroughly searched them, but that's taken the word of people that it took six visits to get them to do anything. So I'm not sure how that works there, but they never found him. So to this day, he's on the loose and I personally think he's alive. I do too. And hopefully they'll find him soon. I I remember on the John list, you know, when they aired that show, America's Most Wanted. Remember, it was like the next day or something. They they found the guy. Um, to me, he looks a little more distinct than this guy does. So it's going to be a tough one. And I don't know if they'll ever solve it, if they'll ever find him. Now, so the psychology... I think he was definitely a disappointed and anomic, which uh, or anomic, which is the socially awkward, et cetera. Um, but I also think he's probably self-righteous because the um, you know background of being a count, you've got he was more traditional and conservative. He was growing more rigid and inflexible. He was getting in fights with his kids or in the teenage years, which that seems to kind of be a pattern to a degree where you've got the kids are getting their own mind and they're deciding what they want to do and be. And it's like, it sends these people over the edge. Who's in control. Yeah. So I think he definitely had some of that. I don't think he was as rigid as John List, but he, you know, who believed his, you know, killing his family would save him from sin, which is BS. We know that's not the case. Um, but he did bury them, remember, with the religious objects. Mm-hmm. So being Catholic and all of that, um, maybe he knew his family, you know, would want that. He was having the affair. He was definitely disappointed with life. So I, I wanted to refresh just a little bit on the different types of annihilators and see what you guys think that he fell into. And this is from psychcentral.com. So the self-righteous, this killer seeks to locate blame for his crimes upon the mother whom he holds responsible for the breakdown of the family. 
This may involve the killer phoning his partner before the murder to explain what he's about to do. For these men, their breadwinner status is central to their idea of the ideal family. Yeah, I mean, he, he let his mistress know in a way, but we don't know what the what the uh, mother son dynamic was. That would be very interesting because there's definitely a pattern there. Well, the mother of their children, not necessarily the, the killer's mother. I'm thinking killer's mother. Yeah, no, the, this one's like, basically they hold their spouse responsible I don't for think the breakdown of the family. And so if he was like real rigid and inflexible, she was probably like, she was more personable. She was probably maybe a little more lax in dealing with the kids. Hmm. And so, and he wasn't able to be the breadwinner. They're having to live on her inheritance. You know, there's just, I could see definitely self-righteous. Um, the disappointed family annihilator believes his family has let him down or has acted in ways to undermine or destroy his vision of the ideal family life. An example may be disappointment. The children are not following the traditional religious or cultural customs of the father. No. I don't think we saw that. No. Well, I mean, he, he was religious or he was traditional conservative. The kids were not. Um, he's got the whole tradition and background of his family line. Um, maybe. He was traditional and the kids weren't. Well, most teenagers aren't. You know what I mean? So, yeah, most, and he, the cops are called on him for attacking Arthur. Why was he attacking Arthur? So there was obviously something going on in the family dynamic where he felt like he was losing control. And it had to have probably been pretty severe for Agnes to call. Because when I look at like some of the friends and family members of her, and you look at her pictures, she looked like a sweetheart. You know, she looked, and they said she was very personable. So I could see how she would be more inclined and on the children's side when it came to maybe arguments and stuff. And if she is the type of personality I think she is, it would probably would have been really hard for her to call the police on her husband. Like, I think it had to be unusual for her to do that because most people that personality type, they wouldn't, they would try to be a peacemaker and calm everybody down. So she, and this is just me, she must have had some, you know, fear there of this is getting out of hand. You know, back to the, why, if he's alive or not, you know, I was a Methodist and it's sort of the Catholic beliefs, a few of them. Catholics used to believe if you committed suicide, that's the only sin you won't go to heaven for. True. Right. So if he was real religious, there's no way he would kill yeah. himself. Right. The affair, and, the, and we saw this in a few, one other I can't remember but the affair and the annihilation of the family was okay and the religious size mm -hmm. right this and yeah the anomic is in these cases the fam family has been become firmly linked in the mind of the killer to the economy so the father sees family as a result of his economic success allowing him to display his achievements in other words his family is his achievement yeah. However, if the father becomes an economic failure, he sees a family as no longer serving this function. That's him. I think that's probably the closest. I think you could probably have all of them to a degree, but he was definitely failing economically. Mm -hmm. And then paranoid, those who perceive an external threat to the family, this is often social services or the legal system, which the father fears will side against him and take away the children. Here, the murder is motivated by a twisted desire to uh, protect the family. I don't see that one at all. I I think definitely the anomic was really big. And with the anomic, usually they are socially stunted, which I'm not sure if he was, he looked like he could have some fun as well. But I think the economic was a big tr trigger for him. And if they were like in private colleges and private schools, all of that was about to come crashing down. Right. In all of these cases, masculinities and perceptions of power sets the background for the crimes. The family role of the father is, a, is central to their ideas of masculinity and the murders represent a last ditch effort to perform a masculine role. Yeah. So what do y'all, what do y'all think? I mean, there's definitely some common denominators there. Mm -hmm. Very common, some patterns we're seeing the, um, masculinity 
losing control, financial. Um, yep. I'm the father of this household. What I say goes, you know, it's like he didn't, it's like all these people, they didn't grow. You know what I mean? It's like they were stuck in this idea and I'm all for, you know, I'm, I'm conservative in my beliefs of what family should look like and what, you know, life should look like. Um, but I also am willing to grow as a person, you know, and how I interact with other people, like with Kent, you know, when he was little, you know, I was a stinker until he's about four or five. And it's like, you know, being a drill sergeant, what am I doing? And then I, and then I recognized like his personality was totally different. So I had to adjust. Like it was similar enough where I thought he was like me. But then when I realized he needed step by step and only give him the one thing to do at the time, I was like, okay, me being a D, I'm like, do this, 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 you know, but he needed just that one thing and to be able to focus on that. And so I began to adjust myself to his personality. And so it seems like with a lot of these people, they don't grow. It's like they are stuck and the past becomes more important to them than the future. And their success, that stunts, stunts them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They go on and have the same kind of jobs, marry the same kind of people. Mm-hmm. I am. It, he definitely was a business owner. I'm curious what type of business he did because to me, it's like, hey, you guys meet someone that knows Spanish and French and English and they mm-hmm. look like this dude and they own this business. You probably yeah. want to check them out. I'm gonna have to watch that one now. Mm. I haven't watched it. Can you? Because you can't get Netflix. No. Well, maybe on desk, maybe. Pony and carriage brings it. All right. So I think it's break time and then we're gonna save the best for last. I have to be well, that probably wasn't a good way to phrase that. Right. No. Who are we doing next? Jeffrey McDonald. Don't last know. one. Yes, and Elena, she's reading the book, so she's going to be able to give us some tips. Oh, Fatal Vision. Mm-hmm. It was really spooky back when I, it first came out. I bought it right away. It's very detailed, but not in an annoying type of way. And they were friends. Well, and none of the story behind that, yeah. McDonald's. But he's so egotistical that I could see how he would But he let him go to his out. apartment. Because again, there was proof egotistical. He, he thought he could trust him too. Because yeah. look how devastated he got when he found we out. We were best thing. friends. Yeah. I remember that interview. Not I just think it's friends. always ironic when murderers are feeling betrayed and upset about it. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? Ah!